0: You're listening to the Mind Over Matter podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to season two and happy new year because I know that we haven't chatted since December. I hope everyone's doing well. Um, I would love to know how you're doing, what your goals are for the new year. I often find that January can sometimes be a difficult month because you're transitioning a lot, coming out of the holidays. um, Often the lack of sunlight can be difficult to stay motivated with. However, I do find that as soon as February rolls around, I find myself getting into more of the groove and so I thought what more of a perfect time it is to get into podcasting once again and pick it back up with some amazing guests in February. So here I am and I'm very excited for today's conversation. I'm not going to keep you long because this conversation is just so fascinating and I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts and I know Dr. Abrams is as well. So today's guest is Dr. Abrams. It is my absolute honor to present um, this conversation to you. Dr. Mitchell Abrams is a Canadian radiologist, keynote speaker, teacher, and founder of NextGen Health Limited. Dr. Abrams completed his medical degree and radiology specialty from Dalhousie University in Nova Scotia, Canada, and he holds a subspecialty in magnetic resonance imaging from the University of Toronto and is a fellow of the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons of Canada. Dr. Abrams is an associate professor at Michael G. DeGroote School of Medical Sciences and was a department chair of diagnostic imaging at Cambridge Memorial Hospital. Early in his radiology career, Dr. Abrams was diagnosed with hyper hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy, a disease that can lead to sudden cardiac death in seemingly fit and healthy young people. He required open-heart surgery in order to prevent the worst-case scenario, and through his various roles as a patient, physician, and department chair, he experienced the inner workings of our healthcare system firsthand and became acutely aware of the limitations and gaps in our current Western model of care. And so this realization became a passion and drove him down the path of research and experiential learning with experts around the globe and looking at different approaches to healing. In particular, Dr. Mitch's background in radiology and his understanding of physics supported a deep investigation into the nature of who we truly are and how we thrive. The intersection between his life in sciences and this powerful experience of healing provided the foundation of what his life mission has become: to support and promote a more holistic model of healthcare. As a part of his mission, Dr. Mitch initiated a social enterprise called Next Gen Health to build a new paradigm in self-care, patient care. And community wellness. I know you'll enjoy this conversation as much as I did, so let's get into it. Okay, so for today's conversation, um, I'm so humbled to have Dr. Abrams onto this stage today. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Abrams, for being here. It's such an honor.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so grateful to be here with you.
0: I really want to get into it. There's so much that I want to talk about. The first question that I have for you, um, and I think that everyone would really benefit from understanding your story, is tell me a little bit about your story, what you've been through and how it's shaped what you do personally and professionally.
1: Okay, wow. Well, I have to be careful because I'm I, I'm, afraid that could take up our entire conversation. <laughs> um, it might help, let me show you. Um, so I have here a guitar um, that is decorated with stickers. And perhaps if I explain this guitar, will explain a little bit more about my me and kind of how I've gotten here and where I'm going. So, music became a huge part of my life um, right after I completed my residency and my fellowship um, for my radiology training. And it was in my very first year of uh, independent radiology practice that... Um, in the same week I, I bought my very first guitar and a few days later I was informed that I had a medical condition. I have a, a condition called hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy and I required urgent open heart surgery. So as you can imagine, you know here I was starting out my career um, and truth be told, you would think I'd be super excited and, and you know really ready to jump into this. You know, career I worked so hard for, but truth be told, I was actually burned out. I mean, when I think back now, I was exhausted, um, and and I really there was something fundamentally missing. Despite you know finally completing all of my exams and you know twenty years of studying, but I was exhausted. And then this hit me. You know, it's almost like kicking me when I was already down. So when I had my surgery. Um, I came to realize a number of things. You know, one, by being treated as a patient in Western medicine, I became fully aware that how we define health and wellness within our medical education system is extremely narrow in scope. When I was being treated, you look, know, my, my doctors, they correctly diagnosed my, my condition, they, they provided a physical correction. But despite that, there was something still missing, like my healing was very incomplete. And I had a very difficult time, you know, really kind of putting my finger on the pulse as to what it was that was missing. And at that moment, you know, here I was, music became a part of my life and I was really engaging. um, You know, I was learning how to play and, and music really uplifted and You know, it it helped me identify something deep within myself that I've never experienced before. And I feel like also being at that vulnerable stage after having open heart surgery, I think also allowed me to, you know, to connect to that deeper, you know, sense of self or my heart, whatever you want to label it as. Now, when I came, eventually when I came back to work, I was then appointed as the chief of the department of the hospital. So in a very quick time frame, not only, you know, was I a doctor and a patient, but here I am now the chief of a department in experiencing the underbelly of medicine. How, how does the healthcare system work? How does the financials flow? And it, I was immediately struck by the degree of disconnect, you know, that, that exists between the high ups and frontline, you know, what people on the frontline of healthcare and patient care, what people are experiencing. And it was at that point, I realized that our system was just so outdated and that there is these huge gaps. And not only can I, you know, was I recognizing it from an administrative perspective, but as a patient, you know, look, I, I started to understand why I was being, you know, why I was experiencing what I was. Now, one of the interesting, you know, things that happened is, um, you know, at a certain point, I was sent off to a conference in Boston, and the entire weekend was spent discussing healthcare and how to, you know, we were studying Toyota, lean, you know, Toyota, the, the automobile maker. And how to extrapolate, you know, the that industry, that lean quality management perspective, the industrialized version of business into healthcare, mm-hmm. creating lean quality management and protocols. And, and so it was at that point, it struck me, I started to understand at a deeper level, why I felt the way that I did, you know, and, and why I, at that time, as a patient, where it felt like, okay, I now I know what's missing. I mean, we're not cars. The system... You know is so designed for focusing on efficiency uh quantity and yet there is you know there is that we were missing the heart we were missing the human connection so at this point um you know i started traveling you know, to different places around the world and different cultures looking at how how do other places or, or cultures approach health and wellness And I got really interested in India and I started traveling back and forth, um, having opportunities to connect with spiritual practitioners and communities um, and really, you know, learning from communities that understood that health and happiness required the nurturing of the mind, the body, and the spirit. Now the spirit you know, it was something Now, I'm not a spirit, I never consider myself a spiritual or religious person, but it, it was something that I've never understood. And it wasn't until, you know, having the opportunity to go to India and start practicing these techniques where I started to understand that the science of spirituality is the science of connection, how to feel connected to ourselves, connected to others, um, and, and, and really feeling connected to something bigger than ourselves. So, you know, this was really starting to, to percolate internally for me, it was helping me find the language to express what I was experiencing internally. And, you know, and I could tell this was really filling a void that, that was fundamentally missing. And what I found so fascinating was that many of these spiritual practitioners, you know, and some of these folks, you know, here we are in in the mountains of the Himalayas and some of these people had like such a profound understanding of science, particularly physics. Right. I mean, some of them had degrees of in physics and it bewildered me. Like why in the world, like, why do you have an interest Mm -hmm. in this stuff? You're a spiritual practitioner, you're meditating, you're up in, you're sitting in a temple away from civilization. And it was explained to me just as Einstein said, everything is energy. And they said, look, the more that you understand energy, the more you can understand that your thoughts and your emotions, these are forms of energy, just as everything is energy. So the more that you understand energy, the more you understand your thoughts and emotions. And then the more you can begin to use your emotions and your thoughts as tools for health and wellness. Now this was my light bulb moment because as a radiologist, we're not using prescription pads or scalpel blades. We use our understanding of energy to essentially non-invasively dissect the human body like a loaf of bread, right? We can examine every slice so that we can, you know, flip through your brain. We can fly through your blood vessels. You know, essentially it's a virtual autopsy, right? We can look, you know, inspect the entire body all because we are energetic beings. And when we start to understand energy, not only from that Western side of science and technology, but begin to pay attention of ancient wisdom and how they understood you know, energy from their perspective and realized that there's now an intersection where science and spirituality intersect. And this is what kind of brought me to this realization, what I was experiencing, what I was learning as I was, you know, looking at the research and kind of like putting my, you know, my my, my left side of the brain, the intellectual perspective, connecting it to that intuition and that feeling, the embodiment. Um, with the right side of my brain and really kind of, you know, becoming very passionate, trying to express how do we bring this forth to the, not only the medical community, but to our communities, you know? So this is where the guitar comes in. So at a certain point, I actually designed a piece of art that helped explain energy from both Eastern and Western in this kind of interesting intersection. And Um, I decided let's just create a little pilot and see what happens when we put it into action. So we started a little pilot program in the hospital I was working at and, um, you know, teaching them about energy, using this piece of art, and then providing them the tools and opportunity to color these designs. Because we know that when you color this very specific design, it shifts your brainwaves into that nice therapeutic you know, frequency, it calms the mind. It's, mm-hmm. it's considered a yantra, a silent mantra. And I have to say, you know, within a week, you know, you could feel the vibe of the department shift. And then by the end of the second week, you know, the, the, the staff started decorating the halls, the walls of our department with their art. So now you can imagine this started to spread just very organically. This program spread throughout the hospital, the other departments, and then the physiotherapists and recreational therapists started, you know, having, um, coloring these designs with their patients. And it just sparked, you know, such a different culture and new conversation. And you could feel the energy shift because people felt rejuvenated, understanding themselves at a much deeper level, understanding our interconnectedness at a much deeper level so as this spread through the the hospital then eventually i was asked to bring this to some schools in the community Um, everything from elementary schools to high schools to the university i was doing programs for children Um, we even had conversations for parent teacher programs and, um, you know, to the point where I was now being asked to, to, to speak at conferences, um, discussing, you know, energy and discussing how we were using art and, and you know, and showcasing what we've been, what, what we've accomplished. Just so, or, it was just organic, you know, and organic growth. So eventually I decided, well, let's see how other cultures would take to this, you know, perspective and approach when we were using art and, and music. So I started traveling back to India, had opportunities to visit hospitals and some schools there. And, you know, I found that, you know, folks in India, they really took to it. They really appreciated this, you know, perspective. And then we took we took this to the Middle East. I thought, well, you know, if here we are talking about the science of our connectedness, let's see, you know, how this Um, you know, how this would be perceived in areas of conflict. So I spent some time in the north of Israel, visiting schools on the border between Israel and Lebanon, Israel and Syria, and visiting primary schools, all the way up to high schools. And now many of the children couldn't speak English, but because we were using art and visuals to discuss, the art allowed us to transcend language and they were able to really you know, put their finger on the pulse as to why we're connected. And, you know, so the next thing you know, these children, we had little stickers made of these designs. The children were coloring them. And then with their intention, with that positive intention, their understanding, that, that kind of awakened consciousness of understanding themselves and our relationships to each other in that moment was captured through their art, which then they decorated, you know, my guitar with. So they, you know, the way I look at it, through their, you know, their the energy of intention helped transform this instrument of music into an instrument of peace. So now, you know, whenever I do talks, I'm always bringing the guitar. I'm bringing their energy, um, their inspiration um, to the table, right? To really, you know, bring this conversation forth. So. Now, if, you know, if we kind of fast forward to today, you know, what is it that I do? Um, you know, I'm still practicing as a radiologist, but I've started a social enterprise. I started a business very much focused on creating social impact. I believe that we can change the way that we deliver health and wellness and, you know, healthcare. but also how can we reestablish and create a renewed sense of deep connection between people and, and communities? So I've created this curriculum of energy, and um, it is actually accredited for doctors so that they can receive their CMEs, you know, and and other healthcare practitioners as well can receive their credits. And it's all about focusing on the art and science of self-care, patient care, and community health. But what we've done is, because we're using art, it allows that degree of creativity so that we can actually deliver the same education to multiple uh, sectors of the community. So we have programs for the general public. We have programs um, for students, you know, from junior high up to university, we have programs um, specifically for corporations, you know, corp and and health clinics. Um, We also have a program, uh, a residency program for artists and the artists, is, is a bit of a unique stream of education because not only do they learn about these techniques and this, you know, perspective of energy, but we're also helping them learn how to, to take their art and their craft to further educate, further heal and inspire the communities as part of this kind of new understanding or a higher level of awareness so that we can become more of a conscious and coherent global community. And this becomes part of a new sustainable funding pipeline, so that we can deliver more health and more mental health and resilience programs in schools, in our marginalized communities, um, and you know. And, and I'm sure we'll have opportunity to talk about it. But there's devices that we can, where we're going to buy that we can actually track our energy and our interconnected energy, and we're now also planning this, you know, very amazing research project that's as much local as it is global in scope and when you use music and art I believe not only can you you know kind of inspire and create a funding opportunity um, but I also believe that you can breathe life into a new you know social ecosystem a new community so I guess that's kind of me in a nutshell (laughs)
0: love it (laughs) I love it and um Honestly, like I'm thinking about it in props to you because you've really put together, well, what I call them is these M's of wellness, right? So you have meditation, you have mindfulness, you have medicine, you have movement, and you added the M for music, um, arts, all these sorts of things that are really just adding on to the realm of wellness. Um, and I know that you spoke a lot about these energies. You said people could feel the energy um, and that science and spirituality connection with energy. Tell me a little bit more um, now in your field of radiology, how you've been able to explore that role of energy really in relation to consciousness, in relation to the mind, overall health. Tell us a little bit about that and what the science says.
1: Sure. Okay. So there's a lot of ways to approach this. Okay, but from a radiology perspective, I mean, let, let's think about who we are, right? Well, first of all, you know, every single cell in the human body has a small electrical potential, okay, of approximately 0.07 volts of energy. So there's a bit of a difference between the negative and the positive by 0.0 volts. So it's potential energy. Now, we are made up on average as a human super organism, we're made up of approximately 50 trillion cells which count which turns out that in fact we are really 3.5 trillion volts of energy potential energy that we can tap into and as an energetic being we are either in one of two states you're either losing energy or you can be in a state of energy charge you can be charging up like a battery as a radiologist, you know, this to me makes a lot of inherent sense. We're made up of 50 trillion cells, those cells are made up of molecules, those molecules are made up of atoms, and atoms it turns out is are 99.99999% space, vibration. We are truly living in a holographic, you know, reality. We're all it's all about vibrations and waves. And if, you know, for any of you who are listening out there and you think that this is bullshit, you know, you have to now question, well, then how do you think an MRI machine works? Magnetic resonance imaging. It's all based on magnetic forces and it's reading your vibrational waves. That You can't ignore it. So the implications of understanding in the the science of of radiology, like, yeah, we can tap into the energy of of what we are um, and we can, you know, create these images, Well, here's an opportunity where you can access that same energy through your consciousness, through the way that you use your focus, concentration, and awareness. Mm -hmm. So, you know, from a radiology perspective, for me, yeah, it makes total sense. And certainly, I think, you know, obviously, having my heart surgery and experiencing it and going to the source, you know, of a culture where for thousands of years, this was well understood to be a science of mind. How to use the mind to create deep connection and understand that your consciousness is essentially a thread that is woven into the fabric of space time itself. We are so interconnected. So that the laws of quantum mechanics, when we're starting to understand this idea of non-locality, the double slit experiment, understanding that awareness is part and parcel of the reality that we experience we're now starting to understand such a greater perspective of our interconnectedness, not just to each other, but to the reality that we're experiencing. So, you know, so, you know, that's kind of one perspective, the irony of it all. So, you know, my whole journey started off because of my, my heart surgery and through this journey of looking at the research and diving deep into, you know uh, you know, contemplative neurology and neuroimmunology and like understanding, you know, how, meditation affects the brain and the whole body i i kind of came across this amazing research that really looked at the heart the role of the heart and it kind of brought me back full you know full circle and you know it turns out that the heart plays a pivotal role in you know this this science of self-regulation or, or mindfulness whatever you want to label it as but the heart is key And it turns out that the heart has its own brain and, and, you know, these neurons, the proteins, the supporting protein network, everything that you would find in your brain, in your head, is actually also sitting on the heart. And it turns out that this little heart brain, it functions independent of your big brain. In fact, it can you know, it has its own intelligence, it can learn, it, it has neuroplasticity. So there's short term and long term memory, like, it can, it's, it's involved in sensing your external environment. And that little brain has more of an influence on the big brain, as compared to the other way around. We used to think that the b- big brain controlled everything. It turns out that the heart brain actually is, is Influencing how the big brain functions. And the way that this works from a scientific perspective, to kind of just sum it up, our heart rhythms, the interbeat intervals are constantly changing. So when you start to track what they call the heart rate variability, you will see that patterns begin to emerge. And if you are feeling frustrated, if you're mad, if you're, you know, any kind of negative emotion that essentially puts you into that negative energy, you know, loss state, the heart rhythms become very irregular. And that, and that's called incoherent, an incoherent rhythm. And those rhythms are actually being sent up to the brain, which then affects the brain. And if it's very irregular, it actually creates what we call cortical inhibition. You know, imagine the times where you went to an exam and, you know, you're so nervous, all of a sudden, two plus two doesn't make sense. You can't even think of the most simple terms. The reason why that is, is because of these heart rhythms, irregular rhythms. But it also has profound implications on the entire body. On the flip side, if you're feeling good, if you're feeling great, you're like, you know, uh, what people would say is in the flow right? Mm. Um, or you're in love or appreciation, gratitude, any of these rejuvenating emotions, well, one, those that's key in putting you now into that charged state of energy. But it also will create a very coherent heart rhythm pattern, meaning that your heart will, for a short time, begin to speed up, and then it slows down, speeds up, and then slows down. And it creates a very nice sinus what they call a sinusoidal type of rhythm that when that gets transferred to the brain, that creates cortical facilitation. And this is when you're optimized. So when you are experiencing your world around you, the background noise of what's going on is going to affect how you perceive your environment. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, profound because it turns out most people are in an incoherent state. So what you perceive will be tinted with a dark or a negative, you know, everyone has, we all have the little voices in our head telling us that, oh, we're not good enough or putting us down or whatever our story happened to be. And much of these little voices are taking their cues by what the rhythms in your, of, from your heart are, which is in turn being influenced by your emotional state. So the more that we can learn how to self-regulate, when we learn more about how we become more mindful of our present situation, mindful of our experiences, the embodiment of emotion, the more we're now having the opportunity to shift our level of coherence, which not only optimizes your brain, it optimizes your body, but my heart also affects your heart. And we actually have the studies we sh- we can now see because the heart has electricity running through it, right? An EKG, that's an electric current. Anything with electricity creates a magnetic field, as physics 101, electromagnetism. So we now know that we have a biomagnetic field. So our energy is now, you know, extending out into our external environment. Those rhythms are being sent out, radiating out into your environment, affecting people around you so now you can induce somebody else into a coherent state which in turn affects how they think how they will react to you right so we're starting to truly understand this vast interconnected energetic network that we're all part of and you know the 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 research is it's just so amazing and fascinating because we also know now That if you bring a large group of people together and you're creating this coherent field of energy, that crime rate, if you direct that intention towards a certain community, we now have the evidence to show that crime rate will decrease. And, you know, when this first came out in the literature, it took three years of, you know, significant peer review and scrutiny because the scientific community refused to believe that you know, my intention or thoughts could affect your behavior on a subconscious level. But now through understanding the science of heart, understanding coherence and our interconnectedness, you know, the mechanics, we're now understanding the mechanics involved. And now it's just a matter of really the bigger question is, how do we begin to start, you know, how do we apply this knowledge, this power into our communities, into our systems and our social infrastructure? How do we best, you know, leverage the power of the heart um, to create, you know, a deeper human experience for the individual, but also for the collective?
0: I love that. Every time I listen to your explanation on um, the heart and the energy and the frequencies, um, I'm so so like. It's amazing how our energies can be so quantifiable, but also. Yeah how they can affect each other. Just like when you say I walked into the room and I felt the energy, that's the energy. Um, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. And I was, I was going to say like, what you're saying is that the self-consciousness being conscious of one own self, that's a form of social activism, being, yeah. being able to meditate, being able to observe um, and now moving out into the world, we can affect other people as well. And so I would also like to think that, that self-consciousness, not only is that a form of, I guess, social activism, but also self-love because it changes the person who sees, um, and, 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 yep. and something that I've learned a lot in, in, um, it, from the meditation classes I've attended from what I've learned is that our breath is an incredible anchor. And yes. a lot of the times, right, like our mind and body, like you said, has a very, sacred connection mind body soul very sacred and it's hard to control those negative thoughts if you were to sit here and think to yourself okay i'm going to stop thinking negative thoughts you know and you and you try that and a 99.999% of the time you will not be able to stop those negative thoughts however when we use the physical anchor and like you said mindfulness meditation using those things to anchor ourselves it's a lot easier all of a sudden to control the mind because we're not up at that higher level state where we can control our mind we start with something physical um, and so, so I think of it like a dust in the mirror, like you have said, right? The idea that if we practice more, um, leaning into these energy f- vibrating uh, practices, when we lean into these, the dust clears like it's on a mirror, the more we the more we're able to reveal that awareness that we have because it's already there. So yes. we all have it. It's just uh,
1: absolutely. yeah.
0: So I, I I love that explanation that you gave because it really makes me think about how we can affect ourselves, but also people around us.
1: Absolutely. I I love how you put it. That is very eloquent and and direct. And and I couldn't agree with you more. Um, And, you know, a Swami once explained this whole process in such a beautiful, elegant way, very much to what you were saying that, you know, if you think of every individual as a beautiful piece of art, this masterpiece and Every masterpiece will look different depending upon you as the individual, your personal experiences, your cultural heritage, you know, all the things that you've experienced um, right and wrong. You know, every aspect of your history is like, you know, another, you know, brush of paint. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: depending upon if your, you know, piece of art is bright and happy, then you're going to see the world through that painting versus if it's negative, you'll see the world through a negative tint. But what's fascinating that when you when you learn how to use the breath, when you learn these what I like to call just you know mental push-ups, these mental exercises, what eventually happens that you begin to notice that the paint becomes is stripped off of the canvas, and you begin you begin to understand, and more importantly, you begin to experience the pure canvas, and you realize that the paint is not you. The paint is your thoughts. Your ego, your perspective, something that you've attached yourself to. And the moment that begins to happen is the moment you now have the opportunity to create the change that you want for yourself. And you begin to recognize that these are the little voices that are keeping you down and the fear. And and so, you know, as you as you mentioned, it is, you know, I like to think of ourselves as soft technology. We have this crazy capacity to, to tap into 3.5 trillion volts of energy that you know not only can change the heart rhythms you know you're reinforcing neural networks you know the whole neuroplasticity thing going on and you know you you are literally transforming your physical being your mental being and your spiritual being
0: so true so true so you spoke about changing your physical being um, mental being, can you tell us a little bit more about how mindfulness and meditation has an impact on it, on, on the ability to make us resilient? What kind of an impact does that have?
1: Well, the science of you know the the, the science of resilience have identified that there's really four domains of, of of resilience, and each domain or each bucket, you can either be losing your your energy or you can be gaining energy. OK, um, so the four buckets are your physical health, your physical flexibility, your mental flexibility, emotional and spiritual. So if we just quickly you know, go through each bucket, the physical bucket, I mean, I'm sure everybody can appreciate that if you go and work out or if you go for a jog, you go on the Peloton, right? <laughs> the moment like after your workout, you feel so good. You oh, yeah. feel like you're in the flow. That's, that's a true sense of feeling what it's like when you recharged your energy. Okay. And you know, and I'm sure people can, can um, you know, agree that if you're in a bad mood, you're having a crappy day, you have a good workout. It shifts your mindset. Things change. So, you know, how resilient you are from a physical perspective is, you know, in, in, in conventional terms, you know, just as what we would expect you know, working out. And even when you think if you're stressed, you know, when you're stressed, you get a bad back. Or if, you know, maybe you have Crohn's disease and then you're stressed and that's going to create an inflammatory bowel, you know, exacerbation. So everything is connected. So when when I go to yoga and I'm stretching my muscles out, I'm, you know, stretching the tendons and the ligaments, all that energy and tension that got stuck there and stagnant because of stress or anxiety or whatever I was dealing with during the day, it gets released just through that physical experience of stretching it out.
0: Absolutely. So
1: you can start to appreciate the inter, you know, that kind of interconnectedness from physical perspective. So. Now let's go to the mental bucket, the mental flexibility. You know, the way I try to like help people appreciate this is saying, look, you know, think of yourself. Do you look at the world through a cup that's half full or half empty? Because that's going to make a profound, you know, impact in how you perceive the world and how you react or respond to the world. So Mm -hmm. how do you view the world? And the second component of this, how rigid are you in your you know framework of look of understanding the world are you the type of person that only believes what you want to believe and have these you know blinders on or are you able to have the flexibility where if you hear something new that you're able to kind of work through it and not just kind of get cut yourself off from it but you know, take the time and process and information and learn, how does that feel? Does that feel right? And how can that change your existing worldview? Can you grow mentally? Mm. Okay. And that again, all part and parcel of, you know, how you use your mind, right? Your minds. So the body and the mind are vessels for your true self, right? So body, mental. Now let's go to spiritual the spiritual resilience, so flexibility, you know, this is kind of, in my sense, you know, spirituality, how connected do you feel to others, or to your values, and the more, you know, the more resilient you are, and flexible you are spiritually, the more that you begin to appreciate that we are all sparks of the same flame, we are all reflections of the same light, so if, you know, if, if you know, some, someone, or a friend, you know, comes to me, and starts you know telling jokes that's starting to trigger me right am i going to lose my temper and say something that i might regret or am i you know, comp- you, know you know so um you know uh, am i just gonna lash out at the person or am i going to appreciate that you know what we're really you know we're the same light we're the same soul but you know i don't know what happened to them earlier in the day i don't know what happened to them over the last week, or their lifetime, or even generations past, you know, they're dealing with their stuff, they're dealing with their story, their universe. And you know what, I have a choice, I can either take on their negative energy, or I can just kind of like sit back, and you know, put up my, my energy, my force field, and not Mm -hmm. allow them to, you know, be absorbed within my, my being. So that spiritual sense of, connection and oneness. And, you know, can you understand and use it in the heat of a moment? Now, the last bucket, the emotional bucket turns out to be the largest area of where we as individuals lose energy. Our emotions are energies. If you have a negative energy, you know, a negative emotion, that negative energy will suck the life energy out of you. Mm -hmm. So We need to learn one to become mindful, become aware. Most, you know, and there's a lot of people that don't even know what they're experiencing. We get patients, and I'm sure you'll experience this you get patients coming into the ER thinking they have a heart attack, but it's actually a panic attack. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we need to become more aware of our emotions in real time. How does it affect our body? And then to say, okay. What type of a mental push-up can I do to not only plug the energy loss, but put me back into an energy charged state? And you know, look, there's lots of different meditations, like meditations I go into the gym, you can learn to flex the muscle in so many different ways. But in this particular, um in this particular situation, I like to discuss the heart coherence type of meditation. And this is something that is so easy, particularly for people who are beginners, where they feel like, oh, my mind races too much. I'm, I'm not, I, 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 you know, I can't meditate. Not for me. <laughs> right. It's not, not for me.
0: Yeah. I hear,
1: I hear this so often, but we know these are the folks that need it the most, right? So this type of meditation is very simple, and very easy, and it really helps build that mental muscle very quickly. Um, so by learning your emotional, becoming emotionally aware, emotionally intelligent, um, you're able to tap into the heart. You're able to tap into the neurons, right. Of of your heart brain, which then expands your consciousness. You're literally putting yourself at an expanded conscious state, you know, that you become more aware of things around you. You become more aware of not only inside of you, but you're also become more aware of those around you. You know, police officers and military, they use this, these techniques because it's been shown to improve their tactical awareness. You know, our snipers, our our Canadian snipers, apparently the best in the world, and they use heart rate variability training. So there's so many vast indications of how to apply this, you know, these techniques. And I think now the next chapter in healthcare is say, okay, we now need to really apply the science of wellness and proactive health and, you know, create a new foundation for our healthcare system so that we build resilience in our communities. We, you know, it's designed to build community connections um, and really help empower our patients as opposed to saying, okay, no, no, don't worry. Don't do anything. Just take a pill. That's not going to, that does not create, that does not get to the root issue of our, you know, disease and our, and our issues. So, Resilience is, is, is fascinating and it ties in to so much. It ties into our health, it ties into our communities um, and it's as much about self-care as it is about global health. You know, resilience is, is, is key.
0: I, I would love if you could say that again. So your last sentence, I would love if everybody could hear that. Uh, it's
1: so, so good. Sure. Well, the, the signs of transformation, mm. you know, really is the bridge to say, your self-care, the science of your personal transformation, is the science of global transformation. And as you, you said it, caring for yourself, learning to tune in to yourself is a form of social activism. And we can now demonstrate the power of your own self-care with, on the effects of those around you. Not just in your local community, but the global the ripple effect on a global level, we are a global community. There's no ends, ifs, or buts about it. Right. I mean, I hate to say it, you know, and I don't want to scare anybody, but we need to face the issue that our old politics, the, the, the geopolitical system was designed so long ago, not only on this kind of idea that we we thought we were separate from each other, but there was no internet There was no airfare. Like there was no global markets, you know, uh, uh, and and creating money out of thin air, Mm. you know, uh, that just didn't exist. We're now experiencing an old model that's so outdated and antiquated. It's like an old shoe that just doesn't fit. We've outgrown it as a global community. And this is where we need this science, this understanding of, of the science of transformation and as you said, social activism that begins with self-care that will undoubtedly transform our communities. And, and again, you layer that with music and art. You spark a renaissance of, of a celebration, in fact, where we can learn, we can heal, we can grow together, um, you know, in becoming more of a conscious and coherent global community.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, and. Oh yeah. There's so much that you said there that I, (laughs) I could go on and on about, but I I just really appreciated how you split up the idea of resilience into the physical, emotional, spiritual. I love that because it really shows that we can, resilience isn't just about, isn't just about mindset, but it's about the different buckets like you were talking about and how they feed into each other. Um, I'm a big fan of alliteration as you can tell. So I, (laughs) what I use is like emotion is energy in motion. And so if I want to get that energy out, whether I'm feeling upset or maybe I'm just mad that day, I'm angry. (laughs) And uh, one thing that I'll do is I'll try to get moving and I'll try to get that emotion, that energy in motion. And that usually ends up happening in a very profound way where it changes my mindset. So 100% totally agree with you on that. Um, But I want to also tap into something else that you said, which was the idea that, you know, we all need this. Um, and it's something everybody can benefit from. And right now, at least that I can think of because of the pandemic, our second pandemic is this whole mental health crisis. And we have become increasingly aware of that research that people are suffering. Um, and we can use mindfulness to battle that stress. We can use mindfulness to battle anxiety, burnout. That research is so heavily available. Um, and you can get meditation classes on demand on YouTube. You host them as well, which I would love to get into later on. But things like that. So, so why aren't we, not only as healthcare workers, healthcare practitioners, but why isn't everybody doing it? What's stopping us?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. That's a great question. So before we get into that, let's just take a little step back. Because I think you, you touched on something very important. You said that this is the second pandemic that we're dealing with. And I, I would even argue to say, in fact, the mental health was the first pandemic. In May 2019, so right before the pandemic hit, the Canadian Medical Association Journal published an article that identified that suicide was the only cause of mortality higher among doctors compared to non-doctors. Now, that is very telling, right? Wow. I mean, we can't lead by example when we, are, when we as a, a health practitioner We don't have it to give. So I would even argue that, you know, then then the pandemic came, it hit, and it really caused uh, a serious, you know, exacerbation to an issue that's, you know, was happening in the background. I, I, you know, look, there's nothing thankful about it but i will say that if there is ever a silver a silver lining to this whole covid business is that it's now bringing this to the forefront to realize we need change we need a shift and we need a conversation a serious conversation and we can't have the same frame of mind expecting that we'll get out of this problem using the same frame of mind that got us into it in the first place right that's einstein's quote you know of insanity Now, to your question is, why in the world would we not be really leveraging this science and technology and understanding of mindfulness? I think a big problem is the value system within healthcare. You know, as a medical student, and I'm sure you're going to find this as you're doing your rotations, you don't have time to sit by the bedside to communicate. You don't have time to connect your heart, to provide the, you know, that adding that heart to healthcare, adding the hu- the human experience to the system. Yeah. In fact, if you're looking after a patient for, you know, weeks, and then that patient dies, that emotional loss and that tragedy, you're not even provided time no. to, you know, deal with it appropriately. You're on now to the next patient we need that bed. Like the system is so tight. It's, it's so dry, you know, it it's lacks life. It lacks energy in, in that context. Right. And because of that industrialized perspective, you know, sitting around and meditating for 10 minutes, you know, three times in your day, would be considered weak, would be considered a waste of time and ludicrous. So we, ha- we, we need a, co- a conversation to truly question our values. A- and unfortunately, it's like a, a chicken and egg situation because, you know, look, I mean, I, I've worked at this at, at the to- at the table, the medical advisory committee, I see how they're, I mean, every individual sitting on that table, they're stressed out of their mind, They're yeah. stressed. You're right. I sat at the table after having heart surgery and here I was say, okay, I'm now learning about how the system is working. Here are some suggestions I'm, and I'm sharing this with you as a doctor, but also look as a patient, somebody experienced frontline and nobody had the ability to think outside of the box no one had the energy for any degree of innovation because, you know, as the system keeps getting leaner, all of these portfolios keeps landing on people's desks and it's, the workload keeps increasing and increasing and nobody has the luxury to think in these different terms. And obviously what we're talking about requires a real leader to stand out and say, no, the buck stops here. It stops now. The system needs a change. And, you know, until we have leaders in place that will do that, the system is going to just continue. And, and unfortunately, we're seeing it buckle. I mean, the hospital that I work at, they're shutting down services, right? There is no buffer zone, you know, pre-COVID, right? And now COVID hit. Well, now the whole system's just, it's it's, it's buckling. It's crumbling. It's unbelievable. And You know, so... The whole idea, um, you know, we're so ingrained in this biomedical model, this outdated context, thinking that you're just these biological parts. And as as a provider of care, we just got to fix your parts and then you're going to be great again. But now we're understanding the biopsychosocial model, meaning mind, body, spirit. We're so much more than just that. So, you know, I, I do believe, though, I'm very optimistic because, technology is now available that we can track progress not only as a health practitioner where we want we want evidence we want to see how our benefit how our efforts can benefit health we can measure progress it can be part of um, you know of the biometrics that we would take you know during any history physical exam Um, but at the same time we can actually use it to measure the collective energy and you'll be able to measure it in very quantitative terms. In addition to seeing, you know, you'll see it, it'll change your community, the way that people, you know, are experiencing their, you know, their workplace and whatnot, the whole culture. Um, so I, I'm very optimistic that, you know, we can create the change and people want it now. I think people are now recognizing, very much. you know, the, the facts. Um, and, you know, look at the end of the day, we're in this environment where a family doctor, if they take more than seven minutes per patient, then they start losing money. Right. Again, it's all comes back down to this financial industrialized model and it just doesn't work. It just doesn't, it just doesn't work. You know, Uh, it's a bit of a joke. Now you go to a family doctor. I mean, I remember as a medical student going and, you know, he pretended to do an abdominal exam on Like I could tell, he's just pretended to do it. I mean, you know, because he doesn't have time to do it correctly, doesn't have time to engage in the deeper layers of, you know, why I might have belly pain, you know, what's the root. So this, it all kind of comes part and parcel with, you know, look, we need a new value system, we need a new system, really. And, you know, we, I mean, if there is more time, I would love to engage with you and to say, look, when you understand energy, from this perspective, not only can you you know, tap into your energy, you know, tap into the collective energy, but how can we design new systems like education and healthcare to create healthier communities that are working smarter and more efficiently? This is Bach Minister Fuller's work. You know, we can apply the laws of synergy and syner- synergetics to our social infrastructure. And, you know, we can create completely new systems and models that are proactive, they're preventative, they're sustainable, and most importantly, they're restorative to the practitioners within the system.
0: Absolutely. Oh, 100%. And I, and I love that you're talking about changing, or shifting this conversation, right, where we're going from efficiency and performance, and we're shifting that idea, that industrialized idea, to move it towards the heart of healthcare. And if I even think about it in my uh, practice, where I've been able to go in for a few clinical placements, it's always about nurse patient ratio. It's always about how much can you get done in this amount of time? You're on a time. And um, I'm sure it works the exact same way. Um, I've worked as a personal su- uh, personal support worker, exact same way. So it has been very much ingrained in our healthcare system to not see people as humans, but instead as just bodies, really. Um, yeah. And I think that needs to change 100%. Yeah,
1: no, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. You know, and, and, and this concept that the harder we work at the expense of our own inner, you know, our own well-being and our own need for connection, the more successful we're going to be. I'm sorry. It's an old, it's an old way of thinking, it's outdated, and it just doesn't fit the mold anymore. It just doesn't fit. So we, we can't continue to call that healthcare anymore.
0: For sure. And I, I think that you did a really good job of answering the next question that I had to ask you. Um, and that was what does the future Of healthcare look like to you, and what is next for you?
1: Oh, um, you know, I'm excited because I I, I really believe that the next chapter of healthcare is going to be, you know, it's going to take the best of the West and and, and amazing technology that we have, but we're also going to integrate wisdom and philosophy that we know, you know, is, is true to our essence. And Um, You know, right now, the pendulum has swung so far down this idea that everything can, you know, comes about from a bottle, you know, pills and, you know, and we're going to find some a new balance, a new point where we can work together that not only, you know, incorporates proactive and preventative community health, but it creates a system where we can treat you as an individual, but also treat the community as a whole through a single mechanism. Um, and I believe that when you look at all the research about how powerful art, music, uh, the medical narrative, how all these you know are tools for healing, for educating, I believe that our new this kind of new model is going to be so much more full of life, right? as opposed to our sterile, I mean, you walk through a hospital now, the walls are gross, they're sterile, like there's no life and everyone's stressed. The system is designed like a cup that can only Mm -hmm. hold so much water. The new version is going to be designed to thrive where we'll be able to say, no, no, we want more people into the system as, as possible. And it's going to create a comprehensive, you know, full and vibrant model for healing. And there's, you know, so much to do. And, you know, as a radiologist, I'm a visual thinker. And, you know, if if we had opportunities, I could, you know, we could show, look at a map and say, okay, you know, as a nurse or anyone working shift work, we know that after six hours, you are now at an exponential risk of hurting yourself or harming, you know, some under your care. And so how do we now best apply a system where you'll get paid for your full hour, you know, your full time, but You're only going to be on the floor for six hours. But now imagine if a system said, okay, tell me, what is it that you love? What's your passion? And are you a seeker or are you a teacher? Mm -hmm. And then we're able to really leverage you as an individual, your sense of sacred purpose and kind of put you into these groups that help to create a new community health outreach platform that, engages with your community providing a full array of like holistic like recreational artistic educational mindful you know like creating these programs that allows you as the practitioner to be a seeker and a teacher in these programs so now you've just created a whole new system where you are yeah we've got a great you know reactive model but now we've got this brand new shiny proactive preventative community system that in, you know, that encourages, you know, a deeper relationship between the practitioners within your system and the communities that they're, you know, you're, you're part of. Um, And everything continues to reinforce energy, this conversation and understanding and helping people tap into that massive potential energy that we all are. That's my, that's my vision. And I think, you know, your little backyard doesn't exist anymore we are all part of a global community. So every little community hospital and these community outreach initiatives will really be part of a broader network. And I think now like you will be able to be local and global at the same time.
0: 100%. And that's my hope too. I hope that we can really change and shift that conversation. Dr. Abrams, if we want to find you, I have learned so much, but if we want to find you, and if we want to connect with you and the work that you're doing, we're not done the interview yet, by the way, because I do have a rapid fire round of questions. <laughs> but please tell us how we can connect with you.
1: Sure. So, um, one, uh, you can check out our website, nextgenhealth.solutions. So, nextgen is my social enterprise. Uh, and remember, there's no T, N E X G E N health.solutions. And also, we have um, a Facebook group now called the Conscious and Coherent. Community. It's an open Facebook group where we talk about connection and community, um, interesting scientific facts. So, you know, feel free to join the conversation. Um, and there's also every Monday to Friday, every night at 6 p.m., um, I do a free heart meditation coherence call. So you can join us on a Zoom call um, and I can, you know, we'll, we'll create that deep sense of connection together you'll get to tap into your heart and then tap into each other's heart and you know so that's another way and uh, i'll be sure i'll share with you that zoom call information and then another interesting way is every month on the 18th 18 is a very powerful number where science and spirituality connect Uh, 18 means life in the alphanumeric alphabet alphabet in hebrew but it's a powerful number so on the 18th of every month Um, at 1800 hours Eastern Standard Time, we have, again, a free community call where people from around the world, we come together and we talk about connection, the science of connection, we talk about, you know, what does connection mean to you? And what are we doing to create more uh, connection in in our communities? Mm -hmm. So there's lots of different layers for, for you to kind of connect with with us and to kind of engage in this conversation.
0: I love it. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna provide all these links that uh links that you're talking about, the Facebook group in the show notes. Um, and they'll also be available on my Instagram if you want to check them out. But 100 percent um, this is a a dynamic conversation and it requires everybody to take part in it for sure. Um I wanted to shift to my favorite part of the podcast. Um, and this is where I ask a few questions and I ask you to give me an answer in one line or less. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So um, I'm going to get started right into it. Um, The first question I have for you is that the the title of my podcast is called Mind Over Matter. And so I want to know in your perspective, what does putting mind over matter mean to you?
1: It means elevating ourselves beyond just our external environment.
0: I love it. Um, what is something you've listened to recently um, or read that's inspired you lately?
1: I love poetry and the poet Rumi has always been a, a inspirational poet. Yes. We are not a single drop in the ocean we're the entire ocean within a single drop.
0: It's your last day on earth. Um, who would you want to spend it with? And it can be anyone. It can be a celebrity, a real person. <laughs>
1: That's a, very, that's a good question. There's a lot of people in my life that I love. I feel like I'm forcing you to choose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm not, <laughs> you know what? On the next episode, maybe I'll, I'll, oh my I'll, God. I'll, I'll be able to that.
0: <laughs> wow, okay, all right. We'll skip that one. <laughs> Unless you want to give You it know a shot. what? The,
1: the, if, I had to, if I had to say one thing, and, and maybe this is not fair, but I'd say it's most importantly to be deeply connected with my, my heart. Because if I'm not with my heart, I'll never truly be able to be present for anybody else, no matter who I pick. So I think it's, for me, it starts with my heart, feeling at peace with what's going to happen.
0: Wow. I have not heard that response before, but it's a good one. I love that one. What's been your silver lining of the pandemic?
1: Having the opportunity to put all of these correct curriculum into structure, um, getting it accredited for the Royal College of Physician Surgeons Canada, and having the ability to use Zoom to further um, connect with communities around the world.
0: Incredible! And my last question for you, um, and I feel like I'm asking a musician, so this one's going to be a difficult one as well. Um, what's your favorite song? Ooh,
1: that's a, that's, oh, that's a tough one. I mean, huh?
0: <laughs> you thought the other one was hard.
1: <laughs> so uh, wow, this could go in so many different directions. Um, uh, you know, I. Uh, Bob Dylan, he's a storyteller, um, and I just found so much meaning in in all of his work. Um, you know, there's any any of his songs. I think you know you could say is one of my top, you know, are, are my favorites. Um, <sighs> don't ask me that. <laughs> I think I, I I think I I have to stop just saying look, Bob Dylan and and, and his work. Uh, it speaks, it, it sings, it speaks directly to my heart. Dr. Abrams. Thank you. So, so, so much. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> it you. has been thank a pleasure. You. Oh, it's been my pleasure. And thank you. And look, I think it's wonderful, you know, what you're doing amongst, you know, your healthcare community because um, the more of us bringing this to attention is exactly what we need to spark this massive conversation that will eventually move and change our value system towards you know what 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 we're talking about today really creating profound change so thank you for what you're doing
0: thank you so much